do not. There is no try. Happy beach here, buddy. Come on. Copy that. We're almost there. You must have a thousand questions. Where's Ray? Go away. Jimmy, what are you doing here? When I found you, I saw what all masters live to see. Raw, untamed power. The potential of your bloodline. We need your help. We need the Jedi Order back. We need Luke Skywalker. The Bizzle! Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Oh, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. Okay, man. Now we get to the two, what I would consider most multidisciplinary classes. Mm-hmm. Again, bringing in lots of baggage that's not specifically D&D, but is D&D inspired or adjacent or whatever, which is the right. Paladin and the Ranger. Okay. I was always a Ranger, but I was fascinated with Paladins, and if I had a big party, I would try and have a Paladin. Um, although often I would just end up having a cleric or, or a healer and more right. fighters or whatever. Um, so I'm going to mix up Paladin in, in Ranger. Um, also the wild card of Druid because Ranger and Druid share the nature connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I struggled with that a little bit. And so all, all, all of those are in place. I want to save Warlock, Sorcerer, and Wizard for last for the because they're so interchangeable from a, uh, yes. a dictionary standpoint, but are very specific in Dungeons and Dragons and make a lot of sense when you get Great. there. So we got Paladin, Ranger, Druid. I'll let you take any of these, but why don't we start with Paladin because you've been playing a Paladin. And, and talk a little bit about wh- wh- what your understanding of paladin was and what it is now. Sure. So a paladin, in my opinion, paladins are just superior fighters. They are hmm. um, melee class characters. They are meant to use armor. They are meant to tank. They are meant to stand in there and take a beating. But they are very strong. Uh, but they also have a lot of charisma-based magic. And they, they have the ability to heal. Uh, they have what's called the healing pool, which is like a set total number of HP that they can give out to either themselves or other people. Um, and then their other, uh, feature. And the thing that I made me pick Captain Marvel as my choice is they have this thing called divine smite, which is when you deal a hit, when you connect, you can just expend your spell slots to deal additional damage using what's called the divine smite. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, it's like extra, I think it's 2d8 for a level one smite and then an, an additional 1d8 for each higher level thing you use. And I think that actually doubles if you're fighting an undead creature. Uh, so, and a lot of the spells, at least the ones that I picked for a paladin were also designed to boost my attack damage so that a paladin at a high level can attack twice per turn there was one turn where I did 50 damage in two hits because I used a smite spell and I used divine smite because divine smite is not a spell. It's a whole other thing. And I just jacked up the, the damage on the first couple of hits I dealt. Um, and it proved very important to us killing a blue dragon uh, that I think the DM uh, thought wait, was going to live. Go on, blue dragon? 
Yeah, we fought a blue dragon and like. Am a, I a, right in making the Dragonlance connection that color dragons are bad and metal dragons are good? Yes. Yeah, this was a bad dragon. Uh, with a, you know, we come out of this magic Nailed tower, it. and all of a sudden, this dragon and his controller are or master or something are terrorizing innocent victims mm-hmm. in this city. So we basically, you know, we run in and we're in combat right away. And I run straight up to him, and the first guy tries to hit me, but I have a spell up that actually hurts him instead of me. And then on my first attack, I hit the dragon for 50 damage. Hmm. Uh, and we beat him on the last turn before it flew away, so we really needed all of that shit. Hmm. Um, hmm. But in terms of a divinely empowered warrior who is going to be doing a little bit more of the hitting and a little bit less of the comforting and healing, right. I went with Captain Marvel, uh, who... Shazam is an acronym for all of the different gods that empower him. It's Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, and Mercury. So he's quick, strong. He can fire lightning. He's smart. He's brave. He's got good stamina. Uh, each each god gives him like one ability. Uh, and so I kind of like the idea of Captain Marvel, the paladin, basically el- turning his hand electric with lightning and then punching something really hard. That would be a very good... Uh, combo move for a paladin. Hmm. At least the kind of paladin I played, which was called a conquest oath paladin, uh, which is designed for this. You know, I wanted a guy who could really fight. So, um, I wouldn't normally um, get super historical on this, but sure. even in terms of like portrayal in fantasy of, of paladins wearing shirts with crosses, white shirts with red crosses on them. <clears throat> right. They're clearly the, the good paladins are are meant to be like crusaders with the Knights Templar monsters. who yeah. are doing the opposite of what they did. Who, which was rape and slaughter their way across most of Europe. Right, they killed all the Jews and Gypsies, and then they killed all the Muslims until they couldn't kill them anymore, and then they left. Um, that's basically the Crusades. That's guys. basically what the Crusades. Were, um, yes. and uh, I'm listening to like a 90 hour audiobook, so let me just summarize it for you right there. Um, yeah, <laughs> the Crusades um, were monsters. They they were not good yeah. people. But one of the many great parts of the super underrated and uh, completely unfairly faulted Kingdom of Heaven by Ridley Scott, which was another the director's cut is an hour longer and a brilliant movie, and non director's cut is like the Blade Runner version is almost unintelligible um, where the Muslims are clearly the advanced ones, even though it's from the perspective of the Christians and there's one good Christian leader, but they're horrible rapists and murderers and and Knights Templar. But um, ironically talking about Wonder Woman, uh, David Thewlis plays an actual pennant, knight templar who's there to pay off something bad that he did accidentally but he's an an honorable and religious man and he becomes sort of like a spiritual guide to the lead character who's like the one good christian leader played by orlando bloom and his probably only good acting role outside of lord of the rings ever um and so that's sort of the ideal is and the the very um iconic character Sturm Brightblade in the Dragonlance uh, original books, the Heroes of the Lance, mm-hmm. um, which the Chronicles were based on in that, in that whole universe, was like very damn it. Like, again, these are made for, you know, young adults, but like you could tell he was basically like Punisher PTSD damaged from something and he wouldn't mm-hmm. talk about it. And 
but he did something horrible, and so he was pay- paying for it. But he was a vicious fighter who could use any armor or swords and just destroy, um, but also was like constantly, like almost like a Matt Murdock style, like trying to get rid of his guilt or or whatever. Um, basically, what I'm saying is, Paladins lead to, I think, great storytelling. I'm interested to know if if, if that's been your experience or something that attracted you to it. Uh. I mean, I think the opportunity to be a combat guy who could use magic is what I've always liked about Paladins as D&D guys. Sure. Coming up with a backstory for him was a fun ex- exercise because I, you know, even though we didn't do a lot, we don't do like voices or anything uh, when we play, you know, the, my DM did work with me about, you know, what is this guy like? Why Why is he a conquest paladin? What's his backstory? Why, why does the party like why why is he joining the party when paladins are sort of supposed to be a holy army operating on their own so hmm. in answering all those questions and thinking about my guy i came to feel a little bit of more fondness for the character than i think i would have hmm. if i just made you know rolled dice made my stats and showed up a week later to play so, um, is, is your, uh, official pick for Paladin of the DC Universe <laughs> at all informed related to whatsoever your character or, um, d- did it stem from something completely different? Well, I think my experience with the Paladin as a primarily offensive combat class yep. did inform it. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure there are people who play Paladins more as healer types, uh, as basically almost identical to how you might play a cleric Hmm. um uh and i can't really speak to that as i said every class in DD has five to nine subclasses within it and you could play so you could really play almost any class Mm -hmm. however you want if you can just be creative and thinking about how to build the character oh sure i guess my my question was more like in the end not on purpose did it end up that it was similar to the character you had built that you chose, also that you chose, or or not from any kind of narrative or role okay. play perspective, Go but certainly it. in terms of the role, like a paladin in this fictional DC superheroes party, yes, would play the way I played my paladin, yes. Okay, and is go on, Cap- Captain Marvel. Captain, okay, Captain Marvel. Um, God, that's yeah. so. <sighs> oh, DC what and Marvel. Yeah, yeah, Shazam, whatever you want to call so it. So Zachary Levi in Philadelphia, I'm excited. I'll, I'll go to that movie. Why not? Um, yeah, <laughs> it's fun. I like the. I'm a superhero. You're dead. I and I like Mark Strong. I think he's a fun actor. So Mark Strong's amazing. A Ama- yes. great actor, and but could be solely campy and funny too. I think. Which is kind of what this needs. Like he's playing a guy named Savannah, who is like Lex Luthor on meth. And not mm-hmm. actually quite as smart, but a lot more like conniving and sort of yeah. a, a, a B movie from the 1950s kind of way. I feel like the only actor, character actor, who, uh, who's like getting more like bizarre bad guy uh, supporting roles that Mark Strong is Ben Mendelsohn. <laughs> yeah. Yes. R- riding the long tail of Rogue One, baby. Um, 
He'll never top Krennic. Krennic was so brilliant. The best Imperial character ever. He's so devious and evil, but he is, he's a great mustache twirler. Um, Mark Strong is great too. Um, that's interesting. I actually, I forgot, or maybe I haven't heard about Mark Strong. So, yeah. Um, so, okay. So, Shazam, Captain Marvel, interchangeable, like Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel in Tomorrow Yeah. Universe. The naming rights litigation re- okay. revolving around Captain Marvel are so confusing mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. It, basically, I, I think as far as I understand it, DC has the rights to the character name, but can't name a series at Captain Marvel or something. It's really, really weird and stupid and and mm-hmm. and pointless. So, mm-hmm. yeah, sh- call him Shazam, call him Captain Marvel, call Shazam. him whatever you want. Billy Billy Batson, he's, okay. he's that guy. <laughs> All right, um, I'm gonna um, hmm, I'm trying to figure out how to do this, um. I'll do Ranger. Can I do Ranger Jewid really quick and then Paladin? Fuck it. Let's do that. Let's do that. So Well, then should I give my... So you're going to do three and then I'm going to do my back. Oh, it's just because my three were related. But yeah, no, if you, if you, if you want to just go straight into Ranger and Druid, you, yeah, go for it. Okay. Yeah. My, my Ranger is super Lucy, easy. Lucy, baby. Go ahead. It, it's Green Arrow. I mean... Yes. I love the Green Really Arrow. kind of fucking duh, obviously... Rangers are almost always range fighters. That's literally what the name is. Uh, they are nature-y. You, we could say that Oliver Queen learned some nature communion stuff when he was living on an island by himself for five years. Uh, Longbow Hunter is so good. Yeah, Longbow Hunter and some of the subclasses of Rangers are Monster Hunter or just hunt like. I wanted an archer. It's mm-hmm. pretty much what every ranger ever has been is uh-huh. a is a is a archer of some sort. So I went with the best archer in the DC. Mm-hmm. So I went with Green Arrow. Mm-hmm. Very simple choice there. We don't have to get into it more than that. So my druid is Swamp Thing. So druids are wizard are magic users who have the ability to commune with nature. We're gonna and- go back to Green Arrow, but keep going. But I want to go back to Green Arrow. Go ahead with the Swamp Thing. Okay. So the in DC there are these five elemental forces that are described by their colors there's the green yeah which this is different than the seven colors of the lantern rings this is all really dumb lore but the five colors there's green which makes me happy just to hear you say it matt (laughs) (laughs) oh it's i don't mock lore because the lore that i know is just as dumb as the lore that anybody else is like um it's all very silly if you're not already a fan of it. Anyway, so there's the the green, which is plant stuff. There's the red, which is like blood, like animal stuff. There's the blue, which is water stuff. The air, which is – or the white, which is air stuff. And the black or the gray, which is like death and decay stuff. You know what? That almost nothingness you just said is already more interesting than the infinity stones. <laughs> because it's actually tied to something i mean and so what you get is every so often these forces pick people to be their avatars and the avatar of the green the most famous one is swamp thing who has the ability to control plant life who can meld into plants and so like he can just like fade into the earth and then appear later uh you get in a spell as a druid that lets you ensnare people in plant vines which is something Mm. that Swamp Thing has done many, many, many times. Mm-hmm. You know, you could throw in Poison Ivy in there because uh, she obviously can control plant life too. Mm-hmm. But if the Druid is supposed to be someone who communes with nature and can control it, I think Swamp Thing is the pretty obvious choice. 
if you wanted to play up the animal connections, both Vixen and Animal Man ha- are avatars of the red. They can another they brilliant don't cha- naming. Right, they don't change shape, but they can con- they can adopt the abilities of animals. So, like, mm-hmm. they can adopt a hawk and fly, or they can adopt an elephant and be really strong. There's one where uh, Animal Man is trapped in space, and he adopts the the ability of a space dwelling creature nearby that lets him breathe in space for a while until he can get back to Earth. Um, you could also be Beast Boy, Changeling, who can change into animals, and the ability to f- assume what's called a wild shape is another dr- uh, druid ability. The ability to See, literally polymorph into a creature. This but I'm you, going yeah. with Swamp. No, Swamp Thing was a thing too when we were young. Yeah, Swamp Thing was a kind of a Vertigo title yeah. that I th- think was maybe a Grant Morrison right. I um, like Vertigo stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Vertigo was a, a very interesting title back when the idea of actually making cartoons, uh, comics for adults was something DC was giving at least a little bit of thought to. Um, I read the one a year or two ago that was just a short run called Frostbite, which was so yeah. interesting. Um, it was so literally it, just an eight-issue journey of one group of people that was almost like a Firefly crew, but Firefly, Firefly crew, but in oh, Arctic ice. Not just for the listeners. It, it, the whole thing was just one journey trying to get across the tundra. Basically, it was really interesting. Yeah, so very yeah. image comic-y. Um, sure. And I remember seeing the yeah. covers for that. Definitely. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. You know, if you want somebody who can control plants, there's nobody who does it better in the DC universe than Swamp Thing. So mm-hmm. it's a slightly more obscure choice. I had to think about it a little bit, mm-hmm. but definitely the right call. Um, interesting. Well, spoiler alert, I always wanted to be a ranger growing up because guess who's the most famous ranger in all of fantasy literature? Redborn? <laughs> Yeah, I will Which, not bow before that ranger of the north. Yes, yeah. Aragorn. Yes, uh, the Dunedain, long-lived rangers trained by elves and the ancient men. I'm fascinated by half elves. I'm equally. There was a great character in, in Feist's Rift War saga, um, in series. Again, he's my second favorite after Tolkien. Um, favorite living one who's still writing. Um, Martin Longbow, who was a bastard mm-hmm. son of one of the uh, cousins of the kings, um, right. f- who was sent to live with the elves and became this like amazing, you know, Longbowman right. and tracker. And I always loved that idea. I never wanted sure. to be an elf; it was too severe. But the notion of like, uh, like uh, into um, Call of the Wild, growing up with elves yeah. was just totally. like the coolest thing. And Aragorn was the coolest thing. Um, and Aragorn was so, I've told you this before, Aragorn was so the coolest thing that I resisted Vigo's portrayal without even trying because I was like, there's no way this can live up to the book. There's sure. no way. And then eventually I was like, this is brilliant. <laughs> this is <a laughs> really actually way more complex and interesting character than the character in the book from a dramatic standpoint or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I always wanted to be the ranger, dexterity and strength. Yep. You can fight, but the master of range combat 
combat, but you're one with nature. Mm-hmm. I believe you can cast spells as as a ranger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll go through this quickly because all my choices for this are from the an- mostly from the animated series, uh, Clone Wars, and or Rebels uh, with Star Wars because they explore nature. You know how like like the Last Jedi had like almost too many animal creatures. There was like the foxes yes. and the porgs. Mm-hmm. They've been developing all that in the animated series. It, not surprisingly, Disney bought Lucasfilm and said, "Hey, we've got the Force. Why don't we have Force creatures?" And it works actually better um, uh, in long form and animated form. They steal straight from Miyazaki and are very open about it um, with the wolves and everything from Princess mm-hmm. Mononoke. Uh, well, what's great about Dave Filoni, who runs the animated division, who was who was Lucas's handpicked, and then they kept him uh, smartly when Disney bought it, is that he worships Lord of the Rings. He worships um, uh, Miyazaki, and he's very open about about uh, tributing them, to say the least. Um, and Ahsoka Tano, the little tiny Ahsoka Tano, is is actually his Gandalf. But I'm going to save that for later. Um, mm-hmm. But when it comes to the nature stuff, Miyazaki is very heavily um, oh yeah influenced. So think of Ezra Bridger as 14 year old Ray. If Ray were sort of a semi Fremen in her world. Um, so force powers can fight, but also like a preternatural connection with the environment kind of thing. And Ezra can talk to like space whales and, and wolves and foxes and stuff like that. He can talk to animals and recruit them and, and but also learn important things from them. Uh, so if you've seen the animated series, Ezra Bridger, who's the, you know, he, the lead, you know, boy, Padawan. I mean, he's the Ray Luke Anakin character of the series very well. Mm-hmm written for the most part very well voice acted and i think just as a quick side note because i don't want to dwell on this uh, freddie prince jr does award level work as as the character kanan um who's his his trainer think of kanan as a perfect blend of what you love about han solo and obi-wan kenobi so he was like it, he was like a teen being trained as a Jedi when Order sixty six came down. Is everyone was murdered? He went on the run. He became a rogue and a scoundrel for a while. So he's got guns, but he got the lightsaber and the force powers. And it's meeting this kid that brings him back to the force again and give a sense of purpose. He was sort of like a neutral gray Jedi um, for a while, which is one of the many interesting things the animated series deals with. And they have just an unbelievable. Um, Padawan master relationship that can only be explored over many s- seasons of, of television. Um, but Ezra is the one who's in touch with the animals. He, he surpasses his master almost immediately. Um, I have Yoda as um, as a as a, 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 a honorable mention, and th- mm-hmm. I mentioned to you that um, uh, the fourth Doctor, whose name I'm blanking on. Tom Baker. Tom Baker uh, voiced this sort of giant force animal rock creature that came out of the earth, almost like the trash heap in Fraggle Rock. It was like this huge force creature that that mentors them, but he's but he's total. He's he's an ent basically. You know how the ents don't want to get involved. Yep. Um, the Bendu also is like, I'm in the middle. I'm not getting That's involved. That's what the Bendu are. Okay. Yeah, and the Bendu's like, um, I'm not getting involved in this this worldly 
temporal battle between, you know, the Jedi and the Sith. And eventually he has to be convinced that his, you know, his existence is, is on the line, like with the Ents, yep. um, and just like the Ents in Lord of the Rings. Um, but it's a beautiful design. And, and Tom Baker threw some sort of filter to make his voice sound humongous and sort of panoral coming out from all sides. It's a brilliant, brilliant vocal performance. Um, what was on my list as well um, for uh, Ranger or Druid. This leads me to Druid really quickly, dude. Um, I had troubles with Druid. My my understanding of Druid in my mind, in my simple mind, has always been nature magic, right? Yes. Um, and again, anyone with the Force is nature magic in, in Star Wars, so that's a non-starter. Um, so I, I honed in on one of the er- the early description paragraphs. It says, for druids, nature exists in a precarious balance. Mm-hmm. Talks about equilibrium of yep. the various elements. World could be destroyed, drawn into one of the elemental planes, and broken apart at its component elements. Um, so dealing with the nature of reality on a metaphysical level, um, even mm-hmm. beyond just the natural level, and combined with his approach um towards all beings even though he's a jedi but he's not allowed on the jedi council because he's such an old school jedi uh who's really looking at the big picture um uh, but his his downfall is his irrational obsession with anakin skywalker of course i'm talking about qui-gon jinn yep um but before he meets anakin and even he tries to work anakin into his very 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 taoist buddhist philosophical i mean What's interesting, man, is even though the Buddhism is very strong in places in the original trilogy, Qui-Gon is the first true, what I would call, like, like Buddhist Jedi character, main character. Um, just the way he conducts himself, his calmness, his mm-hmm. feeling that even with the Messiah, it's just a step to something greater. Um, his big picture thinking is what keeps him on the outside, is a flaw, but also his greatest strength, his feeling about equilibrium. If you take out yeah. the midichlorian, in his speech to young Anakin, he basically says what I just read in that paragraph about the yeah, universe. Yeah, no, I agree. So, uh, and the ecological balance, and I actually don't have a problem with midichlorians because I'm a Star Trek nerd, and having some science in my Star Wars doesn't make me run for the fucking <laughs> hills. God, not, I, help us, no science. And science. But anyways, the point is, yeah, uh, Qui-Gon Jinn I gave as, as, as the druid. Sure wasn't what I would think of, but it's a definitely a credible argument. And I agree that that speech where he talks about the force surrounding us and whatever, and everything else he says when he's not talking about the mm-hmm. midichlorians mm-hmm. is very druidic for sure. Oh, and so, the yeah. very first sentence, sorry, the very first sentence in the official description is a priest of the old faith, capital O, capital F. And he is of all the characters in the prequels in the original trilogy, an old school force user that happens to be a jedi and that's what ahsoka is ultimately too but she's just able to get a lot further a lot faster because of necessity and her brilliant brains and and skills but but both of them have an innate sense of they're fighting for the true good you know like capital g good not what the jedi council wants in in a particular instance you know what i mean um sure and as a priest of the old faith he's what 
I think those Game of Thrones guys are doing with sort of the medieval Jedi 3,000 years ago, beginning of the Jedi Order thing, blah, blah, blah. That's what they look like. They look like mm-hmm. Qui-Gon Jinn, if you had to compare to, to, okay. to someone. Whereas Mace Windu would be like the opposite. Like Mace Windu is like the nouveau Jedi, uh, you know, Roman uh, gladiatorial kind of thing, um, as opposed to th- it, focusing. And he's not a good fighter. He's a bad fighter. He's clumsy. He barely fights. And when he has to fight Darth Maul, he gets murdered very quickly. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I like the idea that there are Jedi with seniority and power and that had nothing to do with their lightsaber skills. Yeah, he was um, such a bad fighter. He didn't think to just like yeah. stand still and wait one second while he had backup. But in here's uh, what locks and as druid this is matt so you know how with the prequels um like anyone who grew up with the old movies who hated the prequels there was a mix of like we all hated the same things and then we all had our own problems right like that's how many problems there were one the biggest problem i had that most people don't care about or think about because it's pure lore and philosophy is that he's the one that figures out the force ghost thing but because I feel like Master Yoda, 800 years in touch with nature, would be the one to, if anyone modern would discover the Force goes. But they specifically, at the end of episode three, say, oh, Qui-Gon's discovered this way to come back from the dead and blah, 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 blah. But if we're putting him in the Druid description as a priest of the old faith, man, in touch with the, you know, primeval forces of the universe, the galaxy or whatever, it fits with that as well. If we're talking pure lore, not what we love. So there you have it. Sure. I would also say, and this is more just coincidence, the actor who plays Qui-Gon Jinn, Liam Neeson, is from Northern Ireland. Ireland is a country where a lot of the real-life yeah. Celtic uh, mythology that informs a lot of what like point. underlies the idea of the Druid, it's where a lot of that comes from. So it's not – it's you know geographically inappropriate for him to be a Druid character. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, again, because of the forests and – how easy it's almost too easy to just interchange force with magic because it doesn't always operate like magic, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, it's tough with the paladin character, but when it came to someone who again is the ideal of the, uh, uh, knight Templar, you know what I mean? The, the Mm -hmm. ideal of being a righteous fighter who's truly fighting for good and protecting the innocent, which is what it was to be and what's always supposed to be never is when it's organized in a mass level i won't go there um but someone who actually does have like an unbelievably true heart and has some of those sort of um nebulous but powerful um charisma slash healing powers we talked about with with leia and and diana would be obi-wan kenobi um, totally. And what's interesting is the by far the most cynical um, version of Obi-Wan is A New Hope. Because the very first thing, well, you can disagree with me. I feel pretty strongly that Obi-Wan keeps Luke away from his homestead as long as possible. So he's not there when his family gets murdered um, because he starts seeing the prophecy path. And it involves Luke never leaving. Yes, he has to hear the story about his dad, play with the lightsaber, but he really strings it out. So by the time Luke gets back, his family's dead and he's drawn into it. And 
this will be my only my only movie question tonight. It's only because I know you know the original trilogy, but you know when he watches uh, the Princess Leia message from yeah. Luke, and he he leans back and he strokes his beard. It's he claims, of course, at the time he's never seen the droid, which we know is a lie. Later, that was retconned, I guess, that he knew R two from Anakin or whatever. But right. even accepting that, so he lied or he just forgot he's an old man. The look on his face is the exact look of when the Death Star blows up Alderaan. And so I don't think he's even thinking about the Leia message at that point because he knows Bail Organa well. He knows R2-D2. He's sensing, should I say to Luke that mere kilometers from here, it's, I think his family is getting murdered or, or let it happen because that's the way the prophecy will unfold. That's the most cynical version of Obi-Wan. But if you go back to the prequels and then the animated series, he is just a pure fighter for good. He's an amazing fighter. He's a great force user. He's always trying to help. He's the only of the senior Jedi. He's not in the council, man, but like he's the only of the senior Jedi who's not affected by Palpatine and the dark side versions that's working in Coruscant. I'm not going to go into that complication um, in the prequels, but basically there's an old, very old, very large, very buried uh, dark Sith temple on Coruscant. Right. The Jedi are aware is there, but they cl- they don't think they're you know, being in, as arrogant as they are. They won't be affected by it but it's working everyone including yoda which is why he's so clouded and they shouldn't be on coruscant and it powers palpatine obi-wan as you'll notice is not on coruscant very much during the prequels which helps clear his mind but he also just has a clear mind and an amazing heart to begin with he's the only one that could have turned anakin to the good side it didn't happen um but he is what if there was like a holy warrior for goodness to me that's obi-wan kenobi so this is a little stats a little mathing and, and a little just from from the heart I'm, I'm curious what you think my pick obi-wan and um uh kanan jarris uh freddie prince's uh very similar kind of younger obi-wan character who trains ezra as, as a runner-up for this in the paladin care uh category sure i mean jared kanan jarris is not a character i know at all so i have no opinions yeah. about him what i would say with uh obi-wan and i do think it's a good choice is he is extremely charismatic. He is the one who convinces Luke it's a good idea to leave behind his whole universe and become a Jedi. Do you, you know, agree Luke's- with my cynical interpretation, though, that he lets the massacre happen be- to- so that choice happens? Um, no. Okay. In part because uh, all of the stuff that gets introduced in the prequels that kind of set up what Obi-Wan's mind frame of mind is when he's older on Tatooine. all of that feels like retconning and none of that actually feels credible like i i, I like ewan mcgregor's Can portrayal yeah. but i don't necessarily think that that person would ever turn into uh sir alec guinness mm-hmm. and you know so this idea that he's cynically predicting something about the future mm-hmm. maybe I think he is tired and he's old and he's beaten down and he is sort of fond for Luke. I mean, he clearly knows who Luke is. I mean, Luke knows who he is. He doesn't know what his name is, but they clearly know each other. Um, 
in terms of what makes him a good paladin, he is charismatic. He is the one who convinces Luke to do to do any of this shit, sure. and is really the father figure driving a lot of Luke's motivation to continue to get better and be a better Jedi. Mm-hmm. And the opening scene of him is him healing Luke in some respect after Luke is attacked by the 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 Gungan raiders and the Sand People. Like he takes him in and he heals him. So. He actually does literally have that sort of healing pool, that and he healing does that touch in the anime that paladins have. Yeah, yeah. He he does it again too, is what I'm saying in canon. Yeah, right. specifically. Uh huh. Now um, you've seen all of the Clone Wars and the Rebels have, and all the stuff that yeah. that deals with kind of the path that Obi Wan takes He's to get from Ewan McGregor to Alec yeah. Guinness. If you take, I haven't everything. seen any of that stuff, so I maybe the transition feels more seamless in that respect. So um, two things. One, they've specifically of all the major characters in the original trilogy, they've specifically left Obi Wan and Tatooine story almost totally unexplored on purpose this entire time. Which I think is the right decision. Which is the right decision because if you're going to do it, get award winning directors and writers and Ewan McGregor and tell the story. Um, which I think is what they're doing, but that's what let me have the opening to to, to do my Obi Wan Ahsoka short story, which I mostly right. done. But I sort of went to the side. This is why I was interrupting before. I sort of went to the side because of my my fantasy historical thing I'm working on. Um, but but I have a pretty good short story about a little adventure him and Ahsoka have during that time period to explain exactly what you're saying. But if you take in all the animated series, which is canon, you take in the books and the comic right. books. You know they give you little like the the what they do is they'll like it'll be a Luke Skywalker comic, and then one one month or one week or whatever, it'll just be an, an Obi Wan like recollection story that Luke's reading in a journal, or like they tease little things. Um, so that's what sort of stoked my imagination about it. But even though he seems so out of it in the original movies, at this point, it, again, pure canon lore, not what you like, what you don't like he's completely playing the fool the way Yoda does for five minutes and Empire Strikes Back before he reveals himself. Um, he knows exactly what's going on. He knows who R2 is. He definitely knows who Luke is. He kind of knows what's going on and wants to push Luke. He's already pushing Luke before the family's massacred and his message just continues after the fa- after that happens. Right. Um, so um, uh, I guess what I was saying was what makes one of the many reasons Obi-Wan is maybe my favorite character overall and all the movies and all the properties is because of that kind of you can make at least that dark interpretation whether it's true or not of his uh, first appearance but then young obi-wan and early you know uh middle-aged obi-wan is a a pure uh, fighter and and defender of good um i agree and is an amazing fighter who would never have lost that battle to darth vader um, by accident um, in A New oh, no. Hope, which is also so fucking cool and interesting. So, yeah. Oh, no. He clearly said, I mean, yeah. he literally says, kill me and I become more powerful than you. I mean, he, you know, Vader is, Vader has never been smart. Vader is kind of stupid and, and thuggish for large parts of these movies. Mm-hmm. And so he basically is just so pissed off after 40 years of resentment mm-hmm. that he does exactly what Obi-Wan figured he would do. You know, which does in fact make him more powerful. Yep. Um, but I, I agree with your assessment of Obi Wan. I think he's a great paladin character. I think he would work very well with how that class works. Um, and I will say, 
I don't know about the cynicism, but when Luke says later, I want to join you, I want to leave tattooing with you, and he says, you must do what you think is right, there is something about his oh, yeah. face in that specific scene that seems half-assed or, or, or cynical or something. Like, the stuff where he's trying to prevent Luke from going to, uh, to Owen and Baru, I don't know, but that particular moment, there is something peculiar about Alec Guinness's line delivery of when he says you must do what you think is right, that leaves open the possibility that he's got other kind of streams of thought going on in his mind about all of this. I mean, again, I'm so impossibly intertwined in terms of my obje- uh, lack of objectivity with Dune with this stuff because right. Paul Atreides sees that he has to get blinded, he has to go through the acts of the end of Dune Messiah. Right. Has to has his re- uh, new formation as the old man from the desert, and Pretty he sure, sees yeah. the golden path, which is what horrifyingness both Leto has to go through and then conduct for 5,000 years. He at least sees right. the beginning of the golden path, and he's putting it on his child, you know what I mean? Um, which is so much darker and so much more epic. Um, it's much more interesting in some ways. Um, uh, well, I'm about halfway through children, so I don't want to get too far into the yeah. plot of what's to come. Yeah, um, um, but uh, but it's funny. I mean, I've, I've had so many hardcore Star Wars fi- lore fan- lore slash fan- and being like Lucas has never mentioned Dune as one of his influences. I'm like, if you read Dune and watch Star Wars, and you think there's no influence, it's a fucking desert Dune. planet. <laughs> Herbert made that shit With prophecy up. Prophecy where the real one was the child and not the original. Yeah. I mean, it's ex- the it's children, a boy, girl, twins. I mean, it's the exact same. Yeah, thing. I didn't even think of that, but yeah, you're right. Yep, and, and, and the roles that Leto takes on and Gamina takes on, no spoilers, is not dissimilar to Leia and Luke uh, sure. splitting up of power as well. So, all right, man, well, let's um, uh, fall into the the most superpowered, at least in my universe, with the Force here, with Warlock, Sorcerers, Wizards, Magic, Heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, again, you have to at least be able to conduct yourself with a lightsaber um, of course. In, in the Star Wars universe as a warlock sorcerer or, or, or a wizard. Um, I, I had the warlock sorcerer wizard on my list in, in, in that order of presentation, but but I'll leave it up to you to tackle one or a bunch of those in, in a row. If you feel like it, if they're connected, you want to talk about the, sort of the heavy spellcasters at all, anything like that. Go ahead. Uh, it makes no difference to me what order we go in. Okay. I would say that whichever we start with, I don't want to explain all three classes at once, so I think we should do one. We each give our I got option. It co- I got it covered. I got it covered. Okay. I got it covered. Um, I was sort of asking, but um, now I'll, I'll, I'll just do it. So, cool. Okay. So these are the heavy spellcasters, guys. So Warlock yep. is deal with the devil guy. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. And because of that, Matt, some classes like fighters, you literally could have at any of the nine plus, uh, you know, moral standpoints or whatever. Yes. Warlocks cannot be, you know, l- l- um, uh, 
lawful, lawful good. good. It's impossible, right? I mean, it mm-hmm. just wouldn't work with the character, even if you're not trying to do ca- much character building. They seek knowledge, witchcraft, supernatural powers, magical effects, fade nobles, mm-hmm. demons, devils, hags. This is Witcher stuff. The yep. Witcher deals with this. And part of what makes the Witcher, and I'm talking about the books here, brilliant is that a lot of the supernatural powers are as likely to be abused by humans as the other way around. And the Witcher will not hesitate. It, if it's a vampire that's not causing any problems, you know, and the humans are trying to murder him, he'll murder the humans or, or ward them off. Um, you know, it's not, so, it's, it's not so one way. Um, and I guess, again, with your D&D campaign, it can go lots of different ways in terms of sort of, you know, what sides uh, things fall on. But, you know, mm-hmm. w- when you hear the word arcane um, or, or demon or devil or things I associate with, with, with the warlocks. And so for me, it had to be the rebirthed Darth Maul, um, who was such a cool aesthetic aspect of episode one. Uh, sure. One of the really only memorable parts, if you really hate the movie, with the lightsaber battle. At least it's memorable. Um, he looks cool. He looks cool as hell. Yeah, but what 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 happened? That's when you have Ray Park. <laughs> so you know, real quick, I, I probably should have done this earlier, but you know, with the canon thing, so Lucas just licensed out stuff, and he said, right. "I'm." After the original trilogy, he says, "I'm never making more movies, but if I do, I'm not beholden to any of these licenses." Mm-hmm. But he drew from some of them. Darth Maul's people um, and characters like Admiral Thrawn and so forth, he did draw from. Disney has been drawing heavily everything from the Knights of the Old Republic to all these different alien species, Grand Admiral Thrawn, characters, species, historical stuff. I mean, Disney is pulling in huge amounts of what is now called the EU, you know. Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I guess it's called that in everything now or whatever. Um, But Darth Maul is from a planet um, which is a matriarchal society uh, run by uh, a a cabal called the Night Sisters, and they're basically like... Are you familiar with The Witcher at all? Only only vaguely. Um, You know what? Dune's perfect. So... The Night Sisters are, they are, Bene Gesserit? are the Bene Gesserit. Yeah. All right, great. They're working both in front of the scenes and behind the scenes. They're the most powerful ones by far. And the Witcher, they're called Enchantresses, you know, the only sure. real sorcerers or, or heavy wizards or whatever in Witcher are women. Uh, interestingly, Witchers are fighters with a little magic, men who are sterile, women also sterile, but they're called Enchantresses and have heavy magic. Um, very interesting, operate on their own. We'll get to that with sorcerers. Um, and uh, uh, Darth Maul, uh, they. they uh, what, what's interesting about this planet is they pioneered um, what, what they call a force magic or dark magic, which is related to Sith powers, but isn't strictly on sort of the Jedi Sith spectrum and is more a corruption. So in some ways mm-hmm. it's actually more evil, eviler as LEG would say, um, is eviler than a Sith m- magic because it's so unnatural. It's, it's, you right. know, warping the fabric, even of the force reality. And so, you know, uh, Palpatine's lightning, he tries to ki- torture mm-hmm. Luke with, that's actually not a force. He power. does torture him with them. Yeah. So that's, I, I meant to say torture and, 
with the intent to kill, I suppose, eventually. Yes. Um, no! Um, <laughs> they call it Force Lightning, but that's actually a magical power. He learned on Darth Maul's planet. So, oh, he, so Palpatine, really quickly... This Did he the, teach it to Dooku then? Because Dooku yeah, can do it too. Exactly. So basically what happened was him and Dooku were getting things going in the prequels. They're like, well, we're two of the, not, if not, we're, we're the two most powerful cis in the galaxy. We might be the two most powerful force users in the galaxy, but we don't know anything about this force magic. So they go to Darth Maul's planet, steal all of the magic knowledge they can, murder everybody else, imprison the few Ah. super powerful ones like Darth Maul, make Darth Maul a slave that they never intended Darth Maul to to be a true Sith successor. He was just a a red shirt, a powerful red shirt for Palpatine, basically. Mm -hmm. And so when he ends up being not dead because the night sisters find that, you know, his brain is still alive or whatever. And they, they bring him back to life. It's, they don't even try and explain it, which I almost appreciate the coming back to life, but they bring Sam Witwer. They make him into a golemy Darth Maul character and it's brilliant voice performance, writing and execution. He ends mm-hmm. up murdering the one romantic love from the past of Obi-Wan, the Duchess Satina of Mandalore, which we're going to be seeing in the numerous shows with the Mandalorian stuff coming You're going to be seeing. Um, it, it was murdered right in front of Ahsoka and Obi-Wan and Anakin's eyes um, by Darth Maul. He takes over Mandalore. He becomes like the Lord of Mandalore, which is the second most powerful p- uh, power in the galaxy that's not the Republic, basically, mm-hmm. um, and enslaves them and blah, 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 blah. Obi-Wan, ultimately in Rebels, does murder him. And something that you would appreciate, I might have sent you this two and a half minute clip like last year or two years ago about their sort of samurai where it's him and Darth Maul second time on Tatooine, Luke's like I've m- seen miles clip. away and, and it's old school. You hear the drums like Crouching Tiger, they're staring at each other. You think it's going to be some yeah. long lightsaber battle? It's like three moves and he's three dead. moves, boom, boom, I, I've boom. I've seen it. And he falls and you're like, I didn't see anything. And then you realize, oh, Obi-Wan was just waiting for the you know for for the right. the one killing blow and then they have a touching moment when he dies or whatever but yeah if anyone was going to combine fighting force powers and like the witchy witchy wiles of the world with magic is definitely Darth Maul and the other characters are so obscure i i, I won't even count that was matt for, for better or worse that was the least obscure uh reference for <laughs> warlock i could come up with i'm very curious because you know i hate dr Str- not hate but i'm just uninterested by dr Str- that the, the, the straight up sort of uh, that that sort of magic in, in Marvel. Curious uh, with these next three picks if they execute it better. In your opinion, uh, a, a corollary version in the DC universe. Sure. All right. So my warlock is Green Lantern, and I got to explain a little bit how this works. So, as you said. Warlock's magic comes from some kind of deal with an outside force, an outside energy source, not usually an actual god, more like somebody who wants to be a god and hopes to, you know, gain enough followers by giving them powers that they they elevate to godhood. Um, Another amazing thing about high fantasy, yep. Right, yeah, like lesser gods. Mm -hmm. You know, they're the different subclasses like demon great old one like literally you can be a a warlock of cthulhu if you want to be um so green lantern's power comes from somewhere else it is used to manifest weapons and to manifest effects 
actually, if you look at all of the different Green Lanterns, they can do some pretty cool reality-altering stuff when they get really, really powerful. Uh, and to amplify the idea that Green Lanterns are warlocks, one of the things in DC Deep Lore is the Earth-3 universe, which is everybody's evil. The, the Justice League are evil equivalents called the Crime Syndicate of America – Green Lantern is... Also known as Fuck It. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's We want Superman to fight evil Superman for a while, so here's... Also known uh, as Game of Thrones. Actually, don't even... Re- Overman? I, no, it's... It's a U. I, I don't remember. Batman is Owlman. Wonder Woman is Superwoman. The F- Flash is Johnny Quick, which is really weird because there's a good guy named Johnny Quick, oh, too. Yeah. And it, you know, like you do, uh, like you do. Green Lantern's equivalent is a guy named Power Ring, mm-hmm. and Power Ring's—he's—he's like ring destroys his body. He's like super anxious when he's using it. Somebody once describes him as Green Method, which is pretty funny. But when he charges his ring, he literally opens a portal to a big Lovecraftian tentacle monster named Volthoom who he shoves his hand into Volthoom's tentacles, screams for a while, and gets recharged. So he literally, this evil Green Lantern, has actually made a deal with some kind of demonic, otherworldly, godlike being. Uh, So he's definitely a very warlock-ish. And on top of all of that, Mm -hmm. one of the subclasses of warlocks are what's called Hexblades, which are Mm -hmm. warlocks whose connection to their their patron comes through some kind of magic mystic weapon. Ford on Critical Role, uh, Travis Willingham's character is a Hexblade warlock, and his weapon is this magic water sword called the Sword Sword of Fathoms. Mm -hmm. The Green Lantern Ring, I would argue, is a Hexblade in its own way, and it certainly can manifest blades magical weapons things like that so by the way really quickly is actually a super tolkien-esque thing where sure most the ring of power obviously in the rings but also aragorn's sword you know uh, (laughs) the staff Mm -hmm. and sword of uh, of gandalf even the most powerful fighters magic users or or both or both it's often that you know the the mithril they make such a big deal about the mithril armor and you know like the 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 fetishization of of stuff in, in Tolkien is sort of the point it's sort of a meta point he's making but also a major plot point that magic is channeled through objects yeah um and, and so i just wanted to point that out keep going for sure now in terms of who green lantern's patron is the Guardians of the Universe are not godlike beings, but they are extremely powerful, they are extremely enigmatic, and they have done some really, really bad shit in their day. They're, if, they're enigmatic, but leaning more towards the evil side, mm-hmm. I think. And I think you're sort of, certainly Hal Jordan and the other human Green Lanterns have always thought of the Guardians as kind of fucked up and they don't like them and it's why they never listen to them and why they're always disobeying them because the the world the guardians always want to impose order on the universe and a lot of times that means like we're going to create an army of people who can't speak like we're going to just take their mouths away and make them indestructible slaves which is something they literally did like about 10 years ago so I, this is a little bit of a stretch, but I kind of like it that Green Lantern is a Hexblade warlock whose patron is one of the guardians of the universe. Well, there you have it. So there you have it. <laughs> so appreciate you staying on this long. I got to be honest, Matt. 
this is shorter than I thought this was going to go. <laughs> I was prepared to cut it halfway through, but we were making good enough time. I was like, oh, let's push through it. But we can't let this go. Of course, our final party of seven, which we'll give to the people, but Sorcerer and Wizard, the most powerful... <clears throat> The most Put out pa- two parts. Yeah. Um, the most powerful, you know, uh, yep. in principle. Um, <laughs> if Again, if you're a video or computer gamer with RPGs, these are the characters that you need to be an expert player to play, whether it's Dark Souls or Skyrim, because mm-hmm. you're very weak at first, and it takes a while to level up and get everything you need. In D&D, you can expedite it potentially again, right? Depending on your situation. But um, I thought, so for me, it just ended up that the most powerful, important characters in all of the various Star Wars stuff were in these two categories. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at yours really quickly. Um, I don't know enough about either to to make that judgment. Um, But let me, can I just give you my sort of gut differentiation between a sorcerer and a wizard have you respond to it from a DD perspective and then you can launch into your picks so when i hear sorcerer again tons of fantasy books tons of video rpgs i think super powerful arcane magic not necessarily good not necessarily evil but kind of extremely powerful and need to be a little suspicious of where they're coming from. Now, part of this is sorcerer is also sort of a derogatory term used in fantasy books by common people Mm -hmm. to describe wizards and magicians and so forth. They call him a sorcerer. You see this in Disney, uh, you know, fairy tales as well. Um, and and so forth. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's something because to be, because to be ensorcelled is actually a word. Sure. And that no one wants to be ensorcelled. So there, there's, this is the whole, you know, Germanic word root thing where you start making connections. You don't realize, would you agree though, that on paper, sorcerer would seem to be less neutral than, um, than wizard. Um, if anything, sorcerers are actually the most prone to being true neutral because they tend to be very yeah. – they tend to work solo and be on their own. Whereas, Spoiler alert. I'm wrong by the D&D definition completely. <laughs> sort yeah, of so setting you I'm up just give, yeah. I'm just going to give you what the, the, yeah. the main difference is. Yeah, the main difference is that yeah. uh, sorcerers' magic power comes from within. Yep. Wizards' magic comes from studying, from learning, from yes, going to libraries and finding scrolls. Sorcerers have what are called sorcerer points that they use to manifest and augment their magical abilities. Yep. Um, I think I read something like uh, the analogy is like a, a wizard is like a Swiss Army knife. They have you know one spell to solve every problem. Mm-hmm. The sorcerer has like eight total sp- spells, and they try to use those eight to solve all of the problems they could possibly face Mm -hmm. so wizards are probably going to be parts of schools organized having trained somewhere formally sorcerers are kind of just going to wander around and do whatever the fuck they want so one of the really awesome things about dragonlance which they do explore in the books is that when you become a mage or sorcerer there is there is an order and you choose the white robes the red robes or the black robes yep same in final fantasy one 
But just because you're white robes doesn't necessarily make you a, a choir boy. And just because right. you're the black robes does not make you Kylo Ren or Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. And it's often the red robes who you have to be the most suspicious of. They actually are sort of dealing with the force in the more mature way that a lot of us want. And we're finally getting with Ray and Last Jedi and the cartoons, you know, that like, yes, you can have emotion, you can feel, you can be, you know, uh, you don't, it's not this sort of ideal of pure goodness, yep. um, you know, that there, ha- there does have to, like, the light has to be, you know, conquer the black, but it's not have to destroy and eliminate the black and dominate it that feeds into it um and so it's a very interesting system because just because you're a black robe mage doesn't make you a bad guy necessarily but you know you'd be, sure. a, be a little suspicious um of it and you know wizards are let's be honest in, in all of the major fantasy works you know gandalf is called a wizard so there you mm-hmm. go harry potter obviously but so is saruman so Saruman, um, uh, and what's interesting is, especially with Christopher Lee's deliciously evil performance of Saruman, mm-hmm. people don't realize that for the, like, if he's 5,000 years old, for, like, the 4,953 years before the Lord of the Rings, he's, like, the best of the wizards and, like, a really great guy. <laughs> like, you know, like, that's part of why Gandalf is so apathetic and lets himself go, is they all think Saruman, because he's, for thousands of years, has been the best leader until he gets a palantir and talks to Sauron and everything, you know, everything goes to shit or whatever. Um, and so it's, you know, it, it's funny to think, but, you know, still the wizards are supposed to be neutral on the side of life and whatever. Harry Potter, it's wizards. Now, in Feist, you know, his famous book's Magician, he calls his wizards magicians, but essentially it's the same thing. Right. The sorcerers being a little bit on the uh, on the dark side, but again, can be serving good cause, depending. Um, but, uh, but you know what I'm saying? Like, in general, like, that that's how I saw it. But as you pointed out, and when I looked at the descriptions, I'm like, oh, that's not necessarily the case. As you point Sorcerer is a spellcaster who draws on inherent magic from a gift or bloodline. Well, Matt, I'm doing Star Wars and I read that sentence. And how can it not be Skywalker's and or Ray? I mean, yeah, has to be. Has to be. Um, And um, you know, uh, I told you I was going to break ties. I picked Han uh, over Jin. I picked Mace over Kylo. And honestly, for the sorcerer. you know, sorcerers carry a magical birthright. Even though the, the I want to point out that even though the Skywalkers seem to be legendary, it's like 50 years old that they're legendary, right? This isn't, <laughs> this, this isn't the, you know, French uh, Merovingian bloodline that goes back 9,000 years to the Middle East or whatever. <laughs> That's true. It, it pretty much started, <laughs> yeah. it's three generations old. <laughs> and what people seem to be missing with Ray being a nobody, assuming that's true, which I hope it is, she still has a bloodline. And the Ray bloodline is going to be talked about like the Skywalker bloodline. But 
terms of just naturally being able to channel emotion to protect herself and her friends over and over again and always come back and never be corrupted just like a little uh, alien called Ahsoka Tano who I'm going to talk about in a second. Ray, I'm definitely picking with all current evidence over horrible Darth Vader, Luke who's a very up and down and horrible Kylo Ren. The Skywalkers have a terrible, terrible batting average. Uh, occasional home runs, mostly triple plays and worse. Um, <laughs> I'm taking Ray um, on uh, just to, to to say as my sorcerer and probably on my team. I don't know if I put her on my team, but yeah, I'm taking Ray. But it's got to be Skywalkers or Ray, right? I mean, do you agree with at least the philosophy behind that decision with the description of, of, yeah. of what it is? And just to, just to round it out, Ahsoka does have that thing in her, but Ahsoka is proven to be able to travel between the paths of of both space and time in a way i predicted on a podcast really bizarrely uh like a year ago and started writing a time travel story of ahsoka and like less than a year later they introduced time travel to star wars which nobody wanted and nobody predicted and it's actually way cooler than my envisioning of it but ahsoka was was the one as i thought would be the case who can travel in the world between worlds um, manipulating the structures of reality supreme magic users um obviously subtle deception and brutal brute force mind control i don't agree with but ahsoka is as good as vader or obi-wan in mind control um she can definitely do that um she can and wizards can do that i mean i have seen caleb uh liam o'brien's wizard on critical role do mind manipulation stuff he uses cast he casts friends or suggestions you know Stuff designed to coerce people. Yep. Um, I have a question about Ahsoka's background because yes. I, I really don't know anything about her character. Yes. Really quickly, by far the most important, popular, loved, and critical non-live action character of Star Wars in any media yes. ever by a humongous long shot. Yeah, go yes, ahead. Yes, that, that is the sense I get as well. Mm-hmm. Did she – what was her training? Did she go through the academy? Did she study? Was she a – just a wild talent that wound up being like, okay, so, I'm a Jedi now. You know who Plo Koon is from the council? No, no. Which one is that? Is that the the weird head one? So you know, you know, Saw's Sagara's right hand guy, two tubes. Uh, uh, okay. Sure. Okay. Well, whatever. Plo Koon's one of the the, the, the aliens on the council. He's a Jedi Council alien yeah, guy. Yeah. Fine. He discovers her. Okay. And by the time she's 14, she's even way more OP than Ray. Okay. Um, and mature. She's recklessly heroic, which matches up with Anakin. And here's... So, okay. So, the only thing that's worse than sort of the dramatic portrayal of Anakin turning from good to bad in episode three was the setup... Mm-hmm. In the justification, the whole Natalie Portman fake dream prophecy thing it, right. is total nonsense. He torments and tortures her mentally and physically. Uh, it's horrifying. And so what they do is they create the Clone Wars, which is the period of the actual war, which, by the way, when they announced the prequels, we thought the Clone Wars was what the prequels were going to be, because that was the cool thing from the original trilogy that Obi-Wan talked about. And really all we got is the beginning and the end. The beginning and the end and the transformation was terrible. 
to, to Vader. Yeah. Uh, but, 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 but the Clone Wars stretches it out, and Obi-Wan realizes that his, his Padawan is going astray, and he says, you know what? He's too young to have his own Padawan, but fuck it. He asks Yoda if, if he can get this young girl who's, you know, super OP. Again, Ray, you know, like what 14-year-old Ray would be, but if she was being formally trained. Right. And he gets uh, Anakin a Padawan that he doesn't even need. Anakin being a dummy doesn't realize that he's the one that's being trained by his Padawan. Uh, Ahsoka right. being loyal to Anakin and, and, and young and experienced doesn't realize it either. So Obi-Wan's kind of manipulating it in a positive way again um, with the two of them. And, you know, they become best friends and her and uh, Padme become extremely close. Padme's the one who defends her in, co- in the Imperial Court when the Jedi Order casts her out for right. a completely uh, unjustified murder charges. They cast her out of the Order because of Tarkin and Palpatine and all these people. And then they beg her to come back. In the very last episode, she tells them to fuck off and she voluntarily leaves the Jedi Order and goes into the wilderness. And that leads to all sorts of stuff. But mostly, Anakin losing his mind. I mean, Anakin doesn't go dark very often in the Clone Wars at all, but when they accuse Ahsoka, he knows it's wrong, and then she leaves him and leaves them. That's when he loses his mind. And so, again, lore-wise, I'm not saying it's the consistent or the best, lore-wise, the thing that does ultimately set him off against Mace Windu, Yoda, and so forth, is actually Ahsoka and not Padme, or even Palpatine. Even well, okay. Palpatine is the one that manipulated against Ahsoka. They, they, they created false footage, and they hired all these you know jedi assassins to impersonate her and stuff it's all of season five is like the slow decline of the council and ahsoka and anakin getting caught up in it and and it's 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 pretty epic stuff and pretty great and then when she turned out to be alive a decade and a half later a couple years before the original trilogy and is the you know lead secret agent of um uh the 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 nascent rebellion she's working directly for Leia's dad almost from the beginning um, as an agent and uh, it goes by the name Fulcrum which is also Cassian Andor's name so they definitely know each other so my thing is like she's going to show up it's definitely going to be in the Cassian show because they've definitely done secret operations together and she shows up with the ghost crew and uh, but by far the best season of of Rebels is is the second of four um, as is often the case on these shows because it's all about her and Vader playing like Stratego with one another, trying to track each other down, and she's slowly putting together this Anakin. Like she kind of knows deep down, but she doesn't want to admit that Vader's Anakin. And uh, and there's this chess match of her and, and Ezra and Kanan, and then um, uh, the Vader and the Palpatine and so forth. It's it's great, great, great stuff. And she's an, an, an awesome character. But the bottom line is, she's already as a fourteen year old. You know, like she's so tiny. She she's forced to become extremely powerful with her force powers because she can't take a hit. I mean, she she's so slight, even with her good fighting that's abilities. That's very wizard-like. Yeah, and so that's why she eventually gets two lightsabers, and uh, we've talked about this. She holds them backwards yeah. like daggers, um, right. and in defensive style, but um, the way I describe it to people who can't understand the force power thing is they have a stamina bar. Um mm-hmm. 
which in video RPGs, you know, it's like you can't just keep yeah. catching spell, 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 right? Like when you right. cast a spell in D&D um, as a paladin, this is an actual question. Like, do you have to wait a certain number of rounds before you can do it again? Or, or, or You have a limited number of spell slots, and every time you cast a spell, you have to expend one of those slots. And when you're out, you're out until you take a long rest. So Ahsoka is lucky to be super powerful, super brilliant, but also from a, a race, the Togrutas, which are related to the Twi'leks with their um, long lekus that go you know, behind their heads, um, to be very in touch with the living force. And she almost doesn't even have to use the lightsaber as much because her stamina bar is just like on constant refill with force throws and stuff like that. She has to be, but she has to be super crafty almost roguelike at times with the way she fights. Um, but, uh, so yeah, so she, like you said, a jack of all trades, manipulating the, 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 you know, the materials of the universe, right? Um, and, right. and the reason I ask about yeah. the formal training, yes. uh, is so a sorcerer will never, doesn't like go to magic school or anything like that. Yes. And the reason I would, the only reason I would argue that, uh, that Ray is a wizard is because of the scene where she, or I, I guess we don't see it, or no, we do. She steals the Jedi books before they all burn yeah, up, right? Uh-huh. So she is clearly somebody who is really obsessed with the written lore and written knowledge of the Jedi's. And I just didn't know if Jin also would have gotten that knowledge at some point, or would be fascinated by that knowledge at some point. That's the why I asked. So in the in, in the um, <clears throat> the animated series, um, yeah. in numerous visits, um, or I should say, repeated visits to the Jedi Temple on Lothal, where Ezra's from and they're based, but right. has one of the most powerful and oldest Jedi temples. There's a, there's a, a echo of the spirit of, of Master Yoda, who had spent time there. And we don't know if it's a direct link. Is it like live to to him, you know, on, right. uh, on Dagobah or, or whatever? It, it seems that he is definitely in touch with it. And at first it's just Kane and Ezra, and then they go back in a much more epic episode with, with, with Ahsoka, um, in their quest to track down uh, the Sith and, and Vader and so forth. But in both cases, Yoda, first time it's his voice, and then we actually see Yoda with with Ezra. Interestingly, he only shows himself to Ezra, who's the Padawan, not the older Jedi, although he very briefly shows up at the end when it's collapsing and winks at Ahsoka to, to tell her that it's kind of real um, and, 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 and sort of... Uh, it, it advises him. So there is this sort of like communication that that's kind of going on, but she does have to answer your original question. She has the, the uh, official Jedi training from when she was really young. She barely okay. rem- and she has her own book, which is great narrated by Ashley Eckstein, which is awesome about how she sort of remembers her parents. You know, you know, it wasn't like a traumatizing right. thing with her, like the first order, like she has warm memories, but she was taken early and she was treated. Well, right. I mean, she, she is, as Simi said in our very first podcast, because you know that that's his that's his sort of you know non weird waifu character is he just loves Ahsoka, just thinks he's the coolest character, and that's how we right. we bonded. Was talking about Clone Wars Ahsoka because he was into this way before me. She is the head of the soccer team. She's the cheerleader. She's the valedictorian. She's the fastest runner. She is the head of the debate team. You know, she's like literally like Leia, the best at everything, but was super forceful. 
powers, um, uh, but also is recklessly brave and heroic. And like half of Clone Wars is Anakin and Obi Wan trying to save her to, to, from recklessly saving like every you know little civilian she can save, no matter what, how many you know robots she has to kill or whatever. Blah blah blah. Um, so she has a very human traits, but she's extremely powerful. Um, and her, you know, the fact that I guess she's 16 when, when she leaves, uh, she's already the wisest from like a real standpoint, way more than anyone that the council other than maybe Obi-Wan and her journey in the wilderness takes her into exploring Muad'Dib slash Leto Atreides level, you know, right. stuff. Um, and maybe even more from a physical standpoint. Um, and she call she calls herself like she's from the gray, like in the middle, like I was talking about with the Bendu and Tom Baker, right. but she's really like silver. She's a refined, uh, she doesn't need to be a Jedi. When Luke Skywalker says, you know, Jedi need to die in, in last Jedi, he's right. You know, it has to be about the light side and the dark side, uh, uh balancing, not about the Jedi and the Sith. It's the one thing, you know, Luke's right about. And she realized that at a deep level. And that is why she is completely, uh, no way we get any of the new movies and specifically Rey without Ahsoka and the Clone Wars, but specifically Ahsoka and specifically we wouldn't get Rey for sure. They're so similar, but because of their backgrounds and their personalities and the performances, you never think about it. But she is age-wise, lore-wise, exactly the Obi-Wan that Rey needs in Episode Nine. I've been predicting now for like a year and a half that she's going to show up. Uh, the, I hope Rosario Rosario Dawson, which was the fan casting everyone wants to happen, almost as the Claire Temple character, just briefly as old, uh, elderly Ahsoka, she would definitely still be alive. We know she survives the Return of the Jedi and beyond. Her, her race lives longer, and she's exactly the Obi Wan to raise Luke. It, it's perfect mirroring. It's the best way to bring the the, the as I you know the the most popular non live action character into the into the mainstream and it's deservedly so because she is so complex even while being so good and that's what i think is the true uh, and i'll get off my high horse here and throw it to you to wrap up um i'm not wrap up but but give your your picks and and, and close this thing off which is the the achievement of ray is ray you never think ray is going to make the wrong decision and yet she still comes off as a dement to me a dement Dimensional and interesting uh, character, um, which is really hard. Whereas Luke, they went completely the other way and alienated half the fan base. So, you know, what, what, what are you going to do? Um, so, yeah, there was your 15-minute-long answer to Ahsoka's training, which may have not answered anything. I apologize, but Ahsoka Tano is my wizard, and uh, just to get things moving towards the end, she would definitely be leading my party. She's the most indispensable part, even though she's the most unpredictable. She's the most powerful. She does the most things. She transcends space, time. She's great at everything. Her potential is basically unlimited in everything. I don't know what to compare her to other than Superman, I guess. Um, so, uh, yeah, there you go. Ahsoka Tano. 
So my uh, sorcerer is John Constantine. Uh, I thought you were going to say John Connor for a second. I'm so delirious. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when we talk for three hours about <laughs> 50 different universes all at the same time. Well, I'm thinking time travel, too. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, right. So, you know, John Constantine is a magic user. He does not play well with others. He goes his own way. He is very roguish. There is a, a type of sorcerer that basically... Every time you use your sorcerer magic, the DM can make you roll a d20, and the effect is random based on the result, uh, which is it sounds really chaotic but kind of fun. Uh, I, that seems to me to be the, exactly the kind of magic user John Constantine would be because he doesn't always know what his spells are going to do. Uh, so in terms of somebody who's just sort of driven by his own internal power, I think Constantine is the great example. In terms of a wizard, somebody who is driven by knowledge and study and training and control, Dr. Fate, uh, a.k.a. Kent Nelson, uh, is definitely my top choice. Mm -hmm. He is basically the same as Dr. Strange. He has a magic castle where he keeps all of his arcane tomes and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, When DC and Marvel did a crossover where they merged in the 90s called Amalgam, they literally just combined Doctor Strange and Doctor Fate into one being called Doctor Strange Fate. Uh, this was not super creative. Um, so he's, I think, a pretty good choice for that. Hmm. There are a lot of magic users in sure. uh, the DC universe, but these are two of the bigger names who are good guys. Uh, and so those are probably my two choices. I, I like Constantine. I picked up a, a used graphic novel. Hellblazer is one of the it's best Hellblazer, written comics yeah. ever. Orig- original sense. I have original sense from 1987, and for 1987, the art is very forward-looking and kind yep. of horrifying in a Lovecraftian way, but not over the top. Um, you know, it has kind of a noir thing going on. It's really interesting. Definitely w- way ahead of, of other 87 comics, for sure. Um, I think having an openly bisexual character, uh, main character, um, you know, it's Alan Moore, yeah. which Alan Moore is a problematic dude, but he wrote some damn good comics. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, man. Well, um uh, I guess we'll just give our our, our parties. It doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. You know, uh, the, the the key is people who would not normally be engaged with D and D. Maybe if they're DC Comics fans or Star Wars fans, which is you know a decent chance they're one or the other or both. Um, if they're listening to this, got a sort of sense of the thought that goes into to this stuff, right? Because right. With enough, with enough, um, what's the word I'm looking for? With enough, like, number stew, you can create anything from anything if you want. Sure. You know, I mean, a wizard that acts like a bard or, you know, a warlock that acts like a paladin, whatever, you know, I mean, you could do. Um, I tried to create my party uh, based on uh, on balance, uh, but also on the power of the characters. I ended up with Ahsoka, and this is this is in order. I think of uh, uh, of 
uh, power or potential power. Because okay. again, with the ongoing both unresolved saga, uh, you know, trilogies and all the prequel and midquel, you know, stuff that we're getting, you know, uh, with, the, with the Clone Wars coming back and the Mandalorian, we right. just don't have enough information. But Ahsoka is the wizard, and okay. then somewhere in two and three is Ezra Bridger as the ranger, Obi-Wan as the paladin. Again, I'm a sucker for multidisciplinary classes, and both of them mm-hmm. are extremely powerful. Leia as a cleric, I, you know, again, like I, I would put um, Wonder Woman in. I'm pretty sure you have Wonder Woman in, as a, you know, both because of the cleric position and because of the, the person. Um, I've cheered Imwe um, for numerous reasons, both lore reasons and D&D reasons as the monk. And then Chewie and Han, I had to do it. Um, Barbarian and Rogue at the end, right? You need I those like fighters it. and those troublemakers, and it just worked out perfectly. Sorry, Jen. You know I love you. <laughs> cool. Uh, so my party is yes. uh, Batman, the monk, Wonder Woman, the cleric, Green mm-hmm. Arrow, the ranger, Dr. Fate, the wizard, Grifter, the rogue, Captain Marvel, the paladin, uh, and Green Lantern, the warlock. And as much as I like Superman more than Captain Marvel, and I do, as I said before, I really think you don't need a fighter if you have a paladin and you're limiting your party to one of, you know, you can't double up classes, uh, which is a arbitrary rule we made up for this. Um, but you need a rogue. You need somebody who can, like, uh, you know, check for traps and shit like that. You need some magic. You need some healing. You need some... C- close range stuff uh and i think it's good to have one guy who can shoot from a distance awesome awesome man well thank you so much for sticking around um it's funny because this was actually a super big news day and we just sort of agreed without saying and then we're going to talk about any of it so we'll have to get you back on for that i will say really quickly as my parting thought um and i'll give you a parting thoughts because this again was just for me personally a super fun exercise and uh, i was yeah. running through scenarios in my head and tracing stuff out and it's exactly I feel like i learned some shit about star wars that i didn't know i i learned tons about dc the more i learn about dc i'm like why aren't we getting the cool cosmic stuff from dc and not marvel i want the ground level and x-men from marvel and i want the cosmic and bizarre stuff from dc whatever um Maybe someday it'll 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 all it all even out. But um but uh but yeah, but it also shows you you know, I think obviously it's not a stretch to say Star Wars operates within a little bit of a more consistent system than either Marvel or DC when it comes to superpowers because of the force, but it also as I said can make it less interesting or just less diverse. Um but I like that challenge. So I had to look for secondary yeah. and tertiary um things um do you think uh final question to you and then you can finish on anything so you know there's dc deck builders marvel uh you know there's the marvel sure. game they played on tabletop and the dc i mean yep. you know there's all these cooperative and non-cooperative you know card games mm-hmm. and blah 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 dice games um sure. do you think you could make a co not you but do you think one could make a coherent uh, immersive, long-running D and D esque uh, campaign or universe with um, uh, D- I don't want to say DC Comics as a whole, but the characters you focused on and kind of your approach, or is it more academic and just a fun thing to do? And let's leave Wizards of the Coast to their business. 
Well, there certainly have been multiple attempts and RPGs over the years that are based on superheroes. I think one of Geek and Sundry's other shows, Callisto something or other, I think Callisto 6, mm-hmm. is an RPG that where the gimmick is that super, there are superheroes. And um, so people have definitely tried to make superhero RPGs in the past. Obviously, nothing has ever caught on as well as D&D, but that's not because it's superheroes. It's cause, just because... Nothing is caught on except for D&D, really. Um, I think you could make a good campaign with these characters, but you would have to bind them to the abilities of the classes in D&D. Like, Green Lantern would not get a Green Lantern ring. He would be a warlock the way all Mm. warlocks work in D&D. Just his name would be Green Lantern. You know, Ahsoka Tano would not have the lightsabers she would be a wizard doing what wizards do in D&D. Um, that, that's kind of my opinion. Now, you want to make a Star Wars RPG, you're playing one right now, uh, or if you want to make a superhero RPG, go at, go for it. Go this ahead. This was more fun character creation. I'm not going to lie. I didn't yeah. think so. But doing D&D with... Now, I'm not saying this would be better and more fun for actually playing a game, but just right. as a philosophical exercise, this this was more fun. Oh, this is like four nerd things all at once. This yeah. is uh, like porn. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think the thing with D&D is... There's enough rules built in, there's enough lore and world building built in that if you just want to focus more on the numbers and the combat, you can do so. If you want to go heavy on the role playing, you can do it. Yep. You know, most systems are either too much one way or the other. You know, like you and I both admire Fate Core and what it attempts to accomplish, but right. it requires so much creativity and energy and the storytelling constantly from everybody. Yeah. And on the other hand, Pathfinder and even more complex systems than D and D are are even more numbers based, and you know it's not just you know I mean you know the biggest knock, but also the biggest you know in some ways like a, a big advantage of D and D is the D twenty because yeah. you know if you roll a thirteen, fourteen, or fifteen, you're not sure what's going to happen. If it's over that, you're good. If it's under, you know, I mean, yeah. And there's a determinism about that that actually feels like real life, but is also empowering at the same time. It, it's very bizarre. I don't know right. if you have any thoughts on all that, and then we'll close this thing up. Yeah, I think D&D has just enough rules yeah. to attract the kinds of gamers who, for whatever reason, really like systems with well-defined rules without having so many that you turn off anybody else from wanting to play the game. You know, ultimately, D&D does come down to one thing, rolling the D20. And then there's problem solving that doesn't require, you know, there's ways around it if you're not rolling well. But, you know, I... D&D, I think, is kind of like the living embodiment of that old expression that no plan survives first contact with the enemy. That D&D is all about making a plan, then watching a lot of that plan not work because it's ultimately based on a D20 die and and random chance, Mm -hmm. and then reacting and adapting from there. I think Mm -hmm. that's that's what the core of what makes D&D roleplay enjoyable. I think that's what it comes from, is how you adapt and keep moving constantly as what you try to do works or doesn't work. Mm-hmm. 
So as part of my historical fantasy project, I'm, I'm trying to create a sort of RPG module on the side, which actually is uh, <laughs> what, what Dragonlance was to D&D, which was they created Dragonlance based extremely heavily, almost stealing from D&D, but D&D recognized that it would just be better to license it, use it as mm-hmm. gaming material, but it was written as, you know, some books before it was licensed, and so it got the benefit both ways. And so I mean, being a gamer and a writer and into all this stuff you know i'm looking at it to me you know the titan's grave the, the dragon age fantasy age system is clearly the best um that just apply to anything because uh, it's so unspecific everyone can roll 3d6 and right. even though you can go into literally dozens of classes in the advanced versions of fantasy age i have all the books it all stems from mage rogue fighter it all comes from those three which i love the simplicity of but there's just enough complexity with D &D. and yes there's some stats but there's only six big ones and you don't have the symbology when you're playing heavy euro strategy board games every single one you play you have to learn a brand new set of rules a brand new set of symbology you can take this set of skills into all D &D campaigns and and even you know a lot of other uh, rpg campaigns right and so Yes. And then you have the social element too, obviously. But Right. Um, and I would add that modern websites like – they don't sponsor us, but, but we, I've talked them up a couple times. D&D Beyond does so much of the calculation and stat stuff for you that it's made it so much easier to not feel overwhelmed by that stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's gotten easier to play D and D in the, the modern, in the internet and the mobile technology age, Mm -hmm. which is, I think one of the reasons why it's more popular now than it has been in a really long time, maybe since second edition came out. Mm -hmm. Um, word. Well, you're definitely my go-to for three and a half hour podcasts. So, Really didn't think that was going to happen, guys, but, yeah. you know, it's um, going to be on my tombstone. Uh, really quickly, though, I, I do want to, if I helped pass on at all the tabletop bug to you, I do want to thank you for passing on the critical role bug to me. Um, I, I, even have to sort of watch it in pieces and listen to some of it and stuff like that. Um mm-hmm. And sometimes um, have trouble focusing because of certain characters on the show that are distracting to me in positive ways. Uh, right. But I'm only human. Um, but I will say they're in top form, everybody there. And just when you think it's just going to get boring with Critical Role, <laughs> Lo- Bailey or someone does something just stu- fun, stupid, and they all start laughing and they, and they get into it. They just are vibing. So, so hardcore. And Matt, you know, again, to go back to the Bard thing, my final thought is professional storytelling, whether it's griotism in Africa, I mean, it's in all cultures, folk cultures, we don't mm-hmm. really have except watching movies, but it, that's mediated, uh, you know, and yep. seeing real storytelling, like what's going, you know, it's not mm-hmm. just watching, you know, cool 
you know, attractive, hilarious, brilliant, um, you know, voice actors and actors playing D and D. It's like real storytelling. Obviously, the bulk has to go to Matt Mercer for keeping it sure afloat, but everyone pulls their weight there in various ways. I want to thank you for that, and I, I've really been enjoying it. Good. I'm glad you gotten into it. I uh, watch Critical Role. By the way, exactly. they're independent. We'll talk about that later. You'll have to come back to the next podcast. Um, fuck you, China. Is that the final message here? Um, sure. I, I didn't say that. Um, so, um, oh God, all of a sudden all my computer systems are shutting down. Uh, thank you so much. Oh no, that's the Russians. Up oh, now they're shutting down. Um, thank you so much, Bizzlecast listeners. Thank you, Matt, for rolling with the punches on this. I knew this was going to be tough, but pun? I did work hard oh. on this. So I hope that came through at least. Uh, oh, for sure. You really got my mind th- thinking and, uh, 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 yeah, I want to, um, stretch those muscles more often. Um, and, uh, and thank you so much. So you can find Matt at Matt Goisman. CCT. CCT. Cape Cod Times. Yes. Um, and follow, uh, Cape Cod in Boston sports. Yes. Uh, uh also I should maybe shut my mouth on this matter today. Um, it's yeah, been a crazy that, day. Yeah. That, that has nothing to do with anything. Mm-hmm. We're recording. It is now Saturday, uh, February 23rd. <laughs> If you follow the news at all, you know what we're talking about, and we're not going to fucking talk about it because it has nothing to do with D&D, Star Wars, Just, movies. you know, sex and money, be careful, guys. That's all I'm going to say. Just be yeah. careful with sex and money out there, just in general. Old rich white dude's going to do what old rich white dudes always yeah. do. Yeah, just be an asshole. Don't be a criminal. Yeah, that's the message for tonight. <laughs> Just be yeah. an asshole. Don't be. If we can get I people think the to ask, people yeah. characters would probably agree with that sentiment. What's funny is in the Kantian sense, if we can get everyone to being assholes and not criminals, we actually will have come a long way. Um, <laughs> so we'll have to see about that. So thank you, Maddie G. As always, so much this great topic. Thank you, Bizzlecast listeners, for sticking with us. Probably will be a two-parter, as Matt suggested. Um, so hope you enjoyed that. Be coming back, you. Uh, back to you soon with I have no idea f- with fucking what so stay tuned it'll be something crazy hopefully like this and super nerdy may the force be with you but for now the Bizzlecast is out 